now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. Well, you can feel free to do that, but there's only one problem with that, and that's that Stan the Fan is not here this week. So it's going to be the best show ever. Uh, maybe. That's <laughs> usually the way it works out. I am Craig Heist. Welcome into the bat around. Stan is uh, off this week taking care of some family business down in North Carolina, and we are going to be here with you for the next two hours, and uh, we're going to talk everything baseball uh, with my sidekick, Bonza Tufa. Sidekick, huh? Sidekick. Yeah, well, you got to be the sidekick today because Stan's not here. Yeah, you're usually a sidekick, huh? It's a stand, right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's you today, and we are happy to have you here, like always. Thank you. Uh, you know, we got a big jam-packed show today because uh, not only did the World Series end uh, this past week. I'm already suffering withdrawal, by the way. Well, you know, that's the, but you know the good news about that is the fact that there's 100... And one days now <laughs> until pitchers and catchers report. You're about the third person who's told me that in the past week. Absolutely. So <laughs> from that standpoint, you know, the World Series is over. It was one of the best World Series. I right. think we can objectively say that. Uh, the only thing that maybe was the Debbie Downer to it all was Game 7. Didn't turn out to be quite as exciting as the rest of the series, but... In the end, when you think about the Astros and what they did hopping on you, Darvish, early in that game, and then having the pitching staff, uh, you know, hold hold up, and then Charlie Morton doing what he did, uh, you know, great great bullpen work uh, by the Astros without using a lot of their bullpen guys (laughs) in that situation. But uh, give A.J. Hinch and the Astros uh, a lot of credit. Uh, for what they did and how they were able to uh, put it together. And, you know, this was a team that, you know, was – they went through a lot. This, oh, yeah. This is a team that lost 100 games and more than 100 games on two or three separate occasions. And still that core, the Altuves and Correas and guys like that, they really kind of – you know, the young nucleus. And you can talk about this team being – an analytical team, a sabermetrix team. Uh, you know, I, I think that A.J. Hinch managed that World Series, especially when he saw what was going on with his pitching staff, you know, and the way his bullpen was a little bit taxed coming through through the playoffs mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do the things that he did, uh, you know, in, in that uh, postseason with Charlie Morton, you know, and, and also uh, – He's a former Nationals pitcher, Peacock. Brad Peacock, uh, to do what he did coming down the stretch and then clutch hitting. I mean, you know, Carlos Correa, uh, you think about, you know, George Springer at the top of that lineup. Oh, my gosh. When, when you think about the MVP of that World Series, you know, and what he was able to do, and keep in mind, you take it back one series before that in the Yankee series, and this was a top of the lineup that – was really having trouble putting right. things together. Yep. And you were wondering, much like the Nationals with Trey Turner at the top of their lineup, whether that part of the lineup was ever going to get it going. Mm-hmm. And as a result, runs were at a premium. Certainly, you think back to the Yankees series, and while they did win the first two games of that series, 
uh, before going to New York and getting getting it handed to them yeah. before coming back home to finally win the series. They they won the first two games of that series at Minute Maid Park by scoring a total of four runs in two games. So from that standpoint, you give them a lot of credit for doing what they were able to do. Yeah, and then when they went to the Bronx, they barely scored at all, and they lost the games. Exactly, and that's because the Yankees' bats woke up. Coming up on the show today, jam-packed, as we said, 10-15 coming up. Uh, we'll be talking to a man who uh, is not a player, but he is retiring. <laughs> and uh, he's been the head athletic trainer for the Orioles for years now and been in the organization uh, for the better part of 40 years, Richie Bansells. He'll be joining us in a few minutes uh, to talk about uh, his career, the things that he went to, through to get to that uh, position that he was in, and some of the guys uh, that he helped keep on the field throughout his career, uh, the most notable uh, being Cal Ripken Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you stop to think about 2,632 consecutive games, right. Richie saw every one of those, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's a it's a that's a pretty good feat for Richie to be able to. Uh, and when I was working back at WTOP, I had the assignment of having to put together small pieces for a series on Cal, and I was able to talk to Richie on the phone one day about that, and. Uh, and we'll get him to talk a little bit about that today, uh, but one of the more interesting scenarios that came to the forefront was uh, the brawl in 93 with the Mariners where Mike Messina hits uh, Bill Hasselman and the bench is cleared and there was you know three separate brawls going on at one time and Norm Charlton just kept fueling the fire. He wouldn't let it break up. He'd still be going after somebody. Well, Cal wound up on the bottom of that pile and twisted his leg. And uh, I think Richie would be the first one to tell you if it had not been for a day off after that Sunday game. The streak would have been over. The streak probably would have come to a, come to a close. But, uh, you know, Cal, who's a pretty tough guy anyhow, uh, was able to uh, wind up getting well enough to play on Tuesday. And the streak continued. The rest is history. Uh, but we're going to talk to Richie about that and uh, – and it's an interesting career because uh, he's he's worked for, with some – he's got Brian Ebel now behind him who's been with the organization for years now. Before that, Jamie Reed uh, was with the Orioles who went on to become the uh, head guy down in Texas with the Rangers. So be interesting to hear from Richie Bansells. We're going to do that in a, coming up right around the corner here. Uh, at 1040, MassInSports.com, Steve Molesky. Uh, will join us, and uh, there's some new Orioles news to talk about. Wellington Castillo doesn't look like he's going to pick up the option or he'll decline his option. Uh, so where does that leave the team from a catching standpoint heading into uh, 2018? We'll talk to Steve about that. Chris Tillman, uh, are they going to bring him back on a one-year deal with low money but incentive-laden? We'll see how that goes. And, of course, we know that they did not pick up the option as expected on shortstop J.J. Hardy and also uh, Wade, Miley. Wade, Wade Miley. So, uh, yeah, and uh, again, we'll, we'll get Steve's opinion on uh, some of what's going on with the Orioles and, and the winter meetings now when you think about it, just about five weeks away down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll again uh, talk to Steve about some of the things we can expect to see from the Orioles and Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette. Now, coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, 
obviously big news down the road uh, in this past week uh, with the agreement uh, by Dave Martinez to become the new manager of the Washington Nationals. And uh, this has been a guy who's uh, been Joe Madden's right-hand guy, not just here the last three years with the Cubs uh, and winning a World Series along the way, but also uh, with Joe while he was in Tampa with the Rays. And Dave also played uh, down in Tampa in the early years, the expansion years. And uh, so, you know, he's a major league player, former major league player with a lot of experience, has not uh, managed in the big leagues. So does that have an effect or will it have an effect on, on a first-time manager coming to a team that has won four division titles in the last six years but has yet to make it out of the first round of the playoffs. I'm just glad he got a three-year contract. Well, you know, and that's the other thing about that to me. If if, if you were going to go with a – and granted, I, I understand Dusty's an old-school guy. Uh, money's certainly an issue when it comes to paying managers with the, with the Nationals. Uh, I, I don't believe that really the learners believe in it. Uh, but again, if you were going to do this for Dave Martinez, why didn't you just give Dusty three years? That's exactly what I was thinking. So, I mean, and from that standpoint, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I was reading a, a column earlier this morning, uh, you know, where the, the, the basis of the columns was being a good manager just isn't good enough anymore. Yep. And we saw it with uh, Dusty. We saw it with Joe Girardi. We saw it with John Farrell up in Boston. Uh, and granted, there are personality clashes uh, along the way when you think about, you know, Girardi wasn't getting along with Brian Cashman. Uh, you know, that that was a, a, an issue. Dave Dombrowski said that, uh, no matter how far the Red Sox would have gone, even if they had won the whole thing, Farrell wasn't coming back as manager, as silly as that sounds. Yeah, well, now we know what the Nationals, what the ownership expects from whoever the manager is with this stacked team. It's World Series or not. Well, yeah, but I mean, there. But again, there are no guarantees. No, I mean, who's but that's to say? Who's to say? For. Who's to say this guy doesn't go out and win the uh, NL East again? Who and they're going to be heavy favorites to do it again. Right, yeah. As a couple of other teams in that division, most notably uh, the Marlins and also uh, the the Phillies. You expect the Mets to kind of bounce back a little bit and get their pitching on track. But a, a the lot Marlins of, got the new ownership, and the Phillies have a new manager. And the Phillies have a new manager. You're absolutely right. Uh, but it, it's going in, in Kapler. But you know, you know, you you're looking at that whole division, and it's very very difficult to see anybody really challenging the Nationals mm -hmm. with what they're going to throw out there again. And uh, it's up to Dave Martinez now to put this all together. But there are no guarantees that once you win the division and you get to the playoffs, whether or not you can get out of the first round or even if you get to the LCS. Yeah, you've taken the next step, but there's no guarantees you're going to get to the World Series. And looking ahead, when Bryce Harper reaches free agency, if he doesn't come back to Washington while Dave is managing the team, how is that going to affect the whole club? Well, and again, I think that's one of the other reasons why this move was made. I, I think that even though Mike Rizzo said this week that there was a, a window. He doesn't really believe in windows. He feels like this team is still built and will continue to be built to win uh, for the next four or five years. Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't see this as like next year a one-year window. 
But Bryce Harper is up after next year. He's going to definitely test the free agent market. Mike Rizzo's contract is up next year. Uh, There's also going to be some guys the year after that. So when when you look at it from the practical standpoint, I I don't think there's any question that, uh, you, you know, they feel like the need has to, and, and all the right things were said, you know, yesterday about, or, or back on Thursday of this week when, when Dave says, you know, I'm here to win the World Series. Well, that's what ownership wants to hear. Right. You know, if, if you're Ted Lerner and, and you're Mark Lerner, that's what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why Dusty doesn't have a job anymore. It's, it's amazing how these days, at least from this year, even a birth in the ALCS or NLCS your job is still not safe. Mm-hmm. Times have changed, apparently. Yeah. And uh, so we got uh, Richie Bansell's coming up in just a short period of time. Uh, Steve Molesky from MassInSports.com. Uh, we're going to talk to Charlie Slows in the 11 o'clock hour uh, about uh, Dave Martinez and what he thinks he brings to the table. And uh, from, from that standpoint, Charlie's had a lot of experience uh, with Dave Martinez, uh, not just as a player when he was with Tampa, uh, in, in the early years and the expansion years, but also uh, alongside Joe Madden uh, when, he, when he was managing the Tampa Bay Rays. So from that standpoint, uh, Charlie's got a lot of experience uh, with him. And then from Charlie, we're going to go to Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, who covers the Nationals. And uh, Chelsea was at the press conference along with myself on Thursday. We'll get her take on what she sees uh, and what she heard out of Dave Martinez. And then coming up uh, at about 1130 or shortly thereafter, uh, after we take a break, I guess we'll come back and we'll talk to Richard Justice of MLB.com, you know, the Houston native, but uh, formerly of the Washington Post, and also the Baltimore Sun here in, in, in town. Uh, but Richard uh, certainly covered the World Series, uh, lives in Houston, has gone through a, a lot down there with the hurricane, and just uh, we'll, we'll talk to him a little bit about what uh, the victory by the Astros uh, did for the city and also uh, bringing the first world championship to that city. So from there, uh, we're going to head out to the phone lines now because our first guest is on the line, and he is Richie Bansells, the now-retired head athletic trainer of the Baltimore Orioles. Richie, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Craig. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. i got to ask you, and, and I, I can't imagine that a lot of guys in that locker room were surprised when you made this announcement. Uh but I guess there were some some people that maybe aren't that surprised by it. Yeah, I think it did kind of run the uh, gamut there a little bit. There were there were some who I think saw it coming, um, and just you know they saw some signs and minor discussions and that, and kind of saw it coming. And I, I think there are others that were just as you said, just and I could tell by their reaction were just totally uh, surprised or. You know, it's one of those things. I guess they think they would that wouldn't never happen, but uh, but had to. Well, let me let me go back to the beginning for you. What got you started uh, as a trainer, and how did you determine that that's what you really wanted to do? Well, I mean, it goes way back to the college days. Um, as a youngster, I was an athlete, and this is a story actually with for a lot of athletic trainers. I was. I was a young athlete and, and, uh, and a baseball player and played a little bit in college. Um, 
But at the same time, going to school, I had an interest in um, a medical health field of some kind. I didn't know what kind at the time, but I'd always been interested in it. Um, and uh, as my uh, uh, baseball career went downhill, so to speak, um, <laughs> my medical interest in, in increased. And at, and at about that same time, actually, the profession of athletic training uh, as a uh, you know a college curriculum and that was kind of exploding um, so it was just it just I was in the right place at the right time in terms of a natural fit for a profession well we're talking with Richie Bansells who is retiring from the uh, athletic training field and the Baltimore Orioles after a long long distinguished career and, and Richie I, I gotta ask you when you first uh, uh, you know, started with the organization. It was in Bluefield, correct? Yeah, Bluefield, West Virginia. And uh, that led to, what, a couple of other minor league stops before you got to the big league club? Yeah, I went, uh, actually, um, right before that, in 1977, I actually worked a little bit with the Miami Orioles while I was still in, in college and undergrad school. 1978, I went to Bluefield, West Virginia, uh, for rookie ball, and that was while I was in graduate school uh, at Eastern Kentucky University. I, someone had suggested to me to just kind of have that, see if I could get a job like that as kind of a resume builder at the time. So I was in Bluefield from 78 to 79, um, both those years. Really, at the time, did not intend to stay with the Orioles because upon completion of my graduate work, I was interviewing for jobs elsewhere, actually in colleges and universities, and as it turned out, in, in 79, the Orioles asked me if I would stay on. Uh, I went to Rochester for four years and then Baltimore after that. And when you got to Baltimore, uh, you were working, I guess, with Ralph Salvon at the time, right? Yes. Uh, in fact, during the four years um, in Rochester, that kind of started because there weren't really assistant athletic trainers then. The staffs weren't what they are now. And uh, so 1980 was my first major league camp, um, um, working with the Orioles in Miami and working with Ralph, starting my work with Ralph there. One of the great things I remember about seeing pictures of Ralph, and, and I only met him a couple of different times because I was very, very early in my career, but you, you would see Palmer and McNally on the training table uh, you know, and he and he's sitting there rubbing their arms down and things of that nature. And can can you just speak a little bit of how those training rooms have changed down through the years? Oh my gosh! Oh jeez. <laughs> um, I mean, it was kind of a, an eye opener for me. You know, coming from a university setting in graduate school where we had. Um, at Eastern Kentucky University, you know, we had five athletic training rooms on the campus and a couple of them were very large. And then to come into professional baseball and it kind of went the opposite way and the training rooms were small in those stadiums, um, very tiny, very little room to work, very little room to have equipment. And, and if it makes sense to anyone, the, the, the athletic training room in Memorial Stadium, the entire room where we had two treatment tables um, and just enough counter space for some, some things. Um, it was the same size as what my present office was at Camden Yards. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the training room, not only in size, but in, in a tech, you know, from a technology aspect and the types of equipment and stuff that we were able to use there, 
in recent years as opposed to way back then. It changed so dramatically and so quickly. Uh, in terms of uh, keeping Cal Ripken Jr. on the field, <laughs> 2,632 consecutive games obviously is no small feat. Uh, but uh, what was your relationship like with Cal and and knowing that there were times where, you know, he might not have been able to answer the bell. And the one time, uh, you know, when I was working back at WTOP, I was telling our, our producer, Bonza, about this, that, you know, I did I did some pieces with you back then on that. And he, he you, you referenced the fact that, you know, the, 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 the 93 uh, brawl with the Mariners with Bill Hasselman and him getting, mm-hmm. him getting stuck on the bottom of that pile where had there not been an off day the next day, he may not have continued that streak. Yeah, I mean, well, my relationship with Cal, um, I'm proud to say, extends beyond the field. We ended up being friends, and part of that, I guess, was just, you know, his, his first day in 1978 in Bluefield, West Virginia, was my first day. Um, um, you know, full time on the job. So I mean, we just kind of came the whole way together, um, and, and through the system and that, and just developed a relationship for many other reasons. Also, I mean, the fact that he was one of those guys that was uh, more so than most other ball players, really interested in his body and how it worked and how to keep it in condition and shape. And he was always quizzing me with questions about anatomy and physiology and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, very inquisitive, very analytical guy. And we sort of enjoyed, you know, going back and forth in that. And it kind of turned into a relationship. Um, yeah, the, um, and, and, and there were a couple of times, you know, um, where it got kind of close. The off day that you're referring to actually took place in 1980 four or five, I believe, and, and that was a sprained ankle that occurred uh, on a pickoff play at second base, and yes, we, we had an off day in the sense that we played the Naval Academy the next day in an exhibition game, and, but back then, the streak wasn't a factor, right. um, but the fight against Seattle, the streak certainly was a factor, um, and he, you know, during the fight, got him, you know, involved in the pile that started in, in front of uh, the pitcher's mound and someone landed on his knee awkwardly and ended up having a sprained uh, medial collateral ligament of his knee, which at the time he was playing shortstop is not a good thing to have because you have to move laterally from side to side. And, uh, I mean, we just, you know, we saw the doctor and MRIs, and, you know, the whole thing that you do and treatment and treatment and treatment. And it just, I really had my doubts at the time that he was going to be able to play the position. Um, but, uh, you know, right as we got close to game time and the bell rang, he said, well, let's just deal with it and we'll treat it afterwards and see what happens. And if I can recall correctly, we got lucky because I think there was only one ball hit at him at the game and it was hit right at him mm-hmm. where he didn't have to move too much. So we got a little lucky that time. When when you're talking about a guy like him, Richie, and, and you have to treat him, how much of what he was able to accomplish – was as much mental as it was physical for him? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Um, uh, you know, one thing you do is you pick your parents wisely, you know, genetically. <laughs> you know, uh, that's the first thing you want to do is have the good genes. Um, there's a, a few other factors. I think athletes who are highly skilled at the position they play, um, 
are able to avoid injury that sometimes lesser skilled athletes don't avoid. They, they don't put themselves in positions to be hurt. Um, and certainly the mental aspect of it comes into play, especially with him. He, you know, that the, he just had the feeling that that was part of his, and I think it comes from his dad. And I know for certain it comes from his dad, but his work ethic was just such that if he was a baseball player and he came to the ballpark, the idea was he was supposed to play that night. Right. Um, and nothing less, you know, it wasn't like, eh, I think I'll come to the ballpark, take a few nights off and stuff. And then, you know, play when I feel a hundred percent ready to play. He, he just, it's, and he kind of equated it actually at times to what I do and to what other people did who worked in their workplaces that, when you go to work, get up in the morning and go to work, you work. Right. Um, and that was just his mental aspect of it, you know. His, uh, that's just the way he approached it. We're talking with Richie Bansells, who uh, has been the head athletic trainer for the Baltimore Orioles and is now retiring. Uh, he decided to uh, take that path in life after this last season. And uh, I, I got to ask you, what was your conversation like with Buck Showalter when – you, you you went to him and told him what your, what your plans were. Well, I, um, the first thing Buck asked me, he said, are you sure? Um, and I said, yes, I am. Uh, and I was. And I, I suspect that um, although we talked for a long while after that about it and, and, and what the future might hold and, and stuff, I, I think Buck kind of knew it was coming. Um but at the same time, he might have been hoping it wasn't coming, um, <laughs> is how the conversation, but it, it was a great conversation. Um, you know, Buck and I have had a good relationship and, um, uh, I think he, when he realized that my mind was made up and it was final, he kind of just wished me well. Well, I know, I know you, uh, have worked with some very, very good people, Brian Ebel, certainly currently who works under you, but also you worked with Jamie Reed who left, uh, the Orioles and, and went down to become the head athletic trainer down there with the Texas Rangers. Uh, so, I mean, th th there have been some good people passed through that place. Yeah, I mean, somebody really wise told me a long time ago, you know, if you want to be successful, to surround yourself with really good people. Um, good people as as people themselves, but also professionally how good they are. And I've been lucky to to, to do that. And, and we've had many others that have moved on um, from our system through the ranks. It's, it's sort of a, uh, it's a source of pride for me, actually, um, to have people like Jamie have moved on. Uh, Brian's a fantastic athletic trainer, so everything with the ball club is going to be in, in great hands. Um, there are others that have been in, in our minor league system, like, you know, and, and come through as coordinators. You know, P.J. Mainville with the um, Chicago Cubs, mm -hmm. uh, the head athletic trainer with the Cubs came through our system. Um, Joe Bench, um, who is at the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, came through our system. So we've been fortunate to, to have good people come through. Richie, let me ask you this. In, in all of your years uh, of doing this, what are you the most proud of? You know, I, I kind of had a little bit of time now to, to look back and reflect on that a little bit. Um, and, you know, being an athletic trainer, you, you have to be a people person. You know, it's about relationships and trust and confidence and um I've always 
you know, I heard this somewhere else too, and I've kind of stolen it. And it's, I've always said that there's something magical that kind of happens when you put a bandaid on a guy, you know, he sort of trusts you for with everything, um, <laughs> the, the rest of the road. Uh, and I think it's the relationships that I'm most proud of. Um, especially when it comes to guys who I had, um, and this is obviously if you stay in it long enough happened recently, guys that I had years ago who continue to call me and, and ask me for advice, you know, when they're of the age or where they're starting to get things like knee replacements and hip replacements, or they have children playing in sports and ask me about this and that and the other. And I, I think that's what I, the, the relationships and bonds that have been formed are what I'm most proud of that they can, they still feel a trust in me in that way. Last few minutes with Richie Bansells and, and, and Richie, now you, you've got another aspect of life coming uh, your way, and that's a, a, a very positive one. I, I mean, I've known Carol, your wife, for a long, long time, your, your two kids. Uh, I, I got to ask you, what are you going to enjoy most about retirement? Um, I, I think it's just, you know, this profession we're in um, – and, and the way it's evolved over the years is such a 24-7 year-round um, thing. Um, and I, I've, I spoke, obviously, and sought the confidence of many of my contemporaries who have recently retired and done this. And, and they said, you just can't believe what it's like to be able to do the things that you've been wanting to do for 40 years, and now you can do them. And, and you know... You'll have to ask Carol in about a year. She's still okay with me being retired and being around more. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Um, I got to tell you, though, I'm at home sometimes, and if I'm home for more than two or three days in a row, my wife looks at me and says, don't you have something to cover? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I say we'll have to find out in, the, in about a year how it goes. But I think we're just going to enjoy our time, you know, together and travel to some places that we've wanted to travel together um, where there's not a ballpark involved um, and spend time with the kids and the grandkids that I have now, you know, um, uh, I, an interesting conversation was with one of my uh, granddaughters and she's uh, five. And um, after I told all the kids that I was retiring, I didn't think she got it exactly because for days afterwards, she kept asking me, she said, grandpa, do you still feel tired? (laughs) <laughs> and we had to explain to her what retirement was. So, um, but I, you know, I just want to spend time with, with them and slow down a little bit. And, um, I still am an active athletic trainer. So I still professionally from that standpoint plan to do some things. I've, I've got some little opportunities out there, things that I can do and continue in the profession. It's just a matter of not being able to do them at the speed I was doing them, uh, at the major league level 24 seven and, traveling you you said about the difference in training rooms back you know when you first got here as opposed to now uh but in terms of the athlete in general it it's become really a 24 7 year round thing as far as keeping yourself in shape i mean there really is no off season anymore no you know when i first came into it you know in the spring trainings down in miami florida and that you know spring training was to get in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that now. If you come to camp now looking to get in shape, you're going to be so far behind. Um, and that was kind of part of those original discussions that, that Cal Ripken and I had, you know, 
kind of figuring it out that it's easier to stay in shape year round than getting in and out of shape every year. And, and that also sets you up for the potential injury. Whereas taking care of your body year round and staying in good condition, you can kind of avoid those injuries. Yeah. And it's really amazing too, because, uh, you think about guys and we just, you know, obviously covering the Orioles and the nationals. Like I do, you talk to guys and they say, well, I'm going to take maybe two or three weeks and just kind of, you know, chill out a little bit and then get right back at it. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. And I actually encourage them sometimes to, to, you know, take a little bit. There's what we call now active rest, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, I think I encourage them after a season to take maybe even a little bit more time to rest their body. You know, I think rest is also a component of fitness. So there is a way to let your body rest a little bit and mentally and emotionally rest, get away from it. Um, but at the same time, not get yourself totally out of condition. So, um, you know, that's what those guys are speaking to it when they, when they say that. Well, Richie Bansells, we have enjoyed uh, our time together, or I certainly have, uh, down through the years with the Orioles and, and seeing you in that clubhouse. And it's going to be uh, a little different not having that opportunity anymore. But congratulations on your decision. And uh, I know there's nothing but good things ahead for you. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. And I, I too, have enjoyed every minute of the ride. All so, right. Uh, and I'm sure we'll see each other. All right. Thanks a lot for joining us on the bat around today. Sure thing, man. Take All care. right. Richie Bansells, and that's a heck of a career right there. When you stop to think about everybody that's come through that clubhouse over the course of, say, 30 years, and, of course, he's been an athletic trainer for close to 40, uh, when you think about the guys that have come through that clubhouse, uh, that's a heck of a career. Uh, and, and, obviously, as, you, as he said, to, to deal with and having to be there right by Cal's side all the time, making sure he stayed on the field, uh, that's a pretty high, you know, pretty good bond. And when you think about Cal, you think about staying in shape all year round because there was no, active, no more active basketball player in the offseason than Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> the thing is, though, with this head athletic trainer position, you know, it's not one of those positions that everyone, the public, really knows about compared to a player or a broadcaster. But these people really do mean a lot to the team, especially when you're there for that many years. And some people don't realize that. No question about it. And it's a 24-7 thing, as Richie says. And it's a, it's a behind-the-scenes type of thing, too. Right. Yep. Where, you know, here's a guy that deserves all the credit in the world, and yet you'll never – you never hear from him. You never, you know, I can only remember a handful of times where he's actually had to come out and talk to the media about a, a, an injury to a player. Right. So it's Which very, is probably a good thing. It's a good thing, <laughs> but it's very, it's very behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, there's not a lot of hoopla and fanfare with it. So from that standpoint, uh, Richie Bansells deserves uh, retirement and uh, good luck to him in his future endeavors. Yep. When we come back on the bat around, we are going to try to hook up with our good friend Steve Molesky from Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com. And uh, we're going to talk a little Orioles and uh, what's uh, in the offing for the offseason and some of the moves that uh, minor moves and minor bits of news that have been made over the last. A uh, couple of days uh, in terms of Chris Tillman, Wade Miley, J.J. Hardy. We'll talk to Steve about that and more when we come back on the Bat Around. Hang around. Great news. Chick-fil-A.
Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has a brand new catering delivery truck. Order your next office party platter from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square and Steve and his crew will bring your chicken piping hot in the all-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. You'll salivate when you see it pull up. Office party, birthday celebration, family gathering, Chick-fil-A catering ensures fast, scrumptious, fresh food with everything you need included. Order using your Chick-fil-A app or call Steve right now and tell him what you need when and for how many. They can feed hundreds. Remember, Chick-fil-A now offers breakfast too so they can cater your morning meeting including hot, rich coffee. And it all comes in the brand new Chick-fil-A delivery van. That's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard or give them a call 410-931-0031. The Paracel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Everyone knows that Full Circle Tire and Auto in Abingdon, that's where I take my vehicle whenever I have any issue whatsoever. And that's because there's a Full Circle difference. They understand my vehicle is my life and they know they need to get it taken care of in a timely manner and work with me to make arrangements. In fact, the most recent time that I took my vehicle to Full Circle Tire and Auto, Dave, he simply gave me a ride home personally after I dropped my car off there. That's the difference they make at Full Circle Tire and Auto. You can stop in and see them. 1304 Governor's Court at Unit 110 in Abingdon. Give them a call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or find them on the web fullcircletirementauto.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to pressboxonline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on facebook.com slash pressboxsports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. The latest edition of Pressbox is available now. On the cover, Sandra McKee profiles Dr. Leanne Curl, not only the first female team orthopedic in the NFL, but also a huge part of everything the Ravens do. Also, 10 questions with Ravens kicker Justin Tucker and more. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
Welcome back to the Battle Round on this Saturday, November the 4th. I'm Craig Heiss, sitting in for Stan the Fan, who's down in North Carolina attending to some family business. And uh, Stan will be back with us next weekend. Uh, but that may be the weekend I take off. Really? Or actually, actually, I think we should both take it off. Oh, why not? Just, <laughs> just do, let Stan, Stan do it all on his own. I, I'm, you know, I think he owes us one of those. What do you think? <laughs> anyway. Don't forget, and we want to remind everybody that uh, you can obviously listen to the show on pressboxonline.com slash radio, uh, but also uh, go to Facebook and like uh, what you see on the stream, and that's facebook.com slash pressboxsports. You can like it and also share it because that's how we build our viewership. Don't just like it. They have reactions on Facebook now. Love it. Love it. Right. Okay, do that. And uh, also, if you want to drop us a note uh, for myself, for Bonza, and Bonza will keep a check on it and uh, let me know what you guys are saying, and uh, I'll try to do that here uh, on my laptop, uh, which is kind of in and out today. <laughs> you, you know, we're going to talk with Steve in a couple minutes. Steve Molesky of yes. MassInSports.com, yep. It's weird when the season ended because obviously the Orioles were not in playoff contention things have been very quiet up until the last couple of days when it came to what the Orioles were up to so it was kind of nice to have some news come out these last couple of days when it comes to whoever's being uh whoever's picking up their option or not right and but you know what a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know, you have the World Series going on, and a lot of teams don't like to talk about things until after right. uh, the World Series. So from that standpoint, uh, you know, like we got the Dave Martinez thing with the Nationals, uh, even though we knew what was going to happen, and that story had broken a couple of days earlier during the World Series, uh, they they wind up not making the announcement until after the World Series. And, of course, uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox, wind up uh, making announcements, one that Girardi wasn't coming back and the other with John Farrell. And then, uh, of course, the, the, the Red Sox wind up announcing their manager. But a lot of teams don't like to do that. And Major League Baseball actually doesn't like you to do it until after the World Series. Just kind of like a respect thing because Pretty the World much, Series is the big thing. It's the big thing. It's what they want all the attention on. And, and this year, more than ever, you know, you think yeah. about the last uh, four years, three of those four World Series have gone down to seven games. So, And this one was really good. Uh, I mean, there was no drama really to the last game other than the fact that you were wondering whether or not, you know, the Astros had enough there in the pen to hold the Dodgers <laughs> uh, down. And, and as it turned out, they did. We're going to head back out to the phone lines and bring in our friend Steve Molesky from Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com. Talk a little bit about the Orioles. Steve, how are you this morning? What's up, Craiger? Not much. Uh, how's your off season going? <laughs> That's been pretty slow, so not really complaining about it. Well, we just had Richie Bancells on. Uh, Jim Henneman uh, did a really nice piece on Richie uh, in Press Box, and uh, we we talked to Richie for about twenty minutes about uh, his his relationship with Cal down through the years, and also how he wanted to get started uh, in the in the in the athletic training profession. And uh, I don't think uh, it's one of the things people come and go in this business. But, boy, it's going to be really weird walking into Camden Yards from here on out and not seeing Richie Bancells. I mean, it is. Um, you know, he's just a fixture for all those years and obviously did a great job or he don't last that long. 
through all those different managers and general managers and owners. I mean, he's seen all kinds of changes to stadiums, obviously. And so um, what a great guy, uh, as I think fans, uh, even if they don't personally know him, I think they realize by now. And I, I for the last couple of years, I, I would always kid him about I, I said, I want to be the writer of his book, you know, right? Uh, because this guy knows where the bodies are buried. I mean, he know he's he's seen it all. He's got he could have a tell-all book of all times, but uh, Richie's too classy for that. He would never he would never do anything like that. But um, <laughs> the stories he could tell, I'm sure. You know, and the one one the one that I brought up to him was the the Hasselman brawl. Uh, after Messina hit Hasselman, and then and then the fight broke out in '93, and uh, you know the fact that there was an off day the next day, other than you know other than, otherwise, Cal probably his streak comes to an end there because he twisted his ankle down you know underneath that pile, and there was a lot of concern as to whether or not he was going to be able to play. Exactly, I think Richie was. Uh and he's talked about this before, um, was involved in that longest game ever, that Rochester game. Yeah, because his first four years, really, he started in Bluefield, and then he was, like, up in Rochester uh, for about three or four years. Yeah, so... uh, I mean, he's had a fascinating baseball life and um, just, you know, the confidant of players. You know, in those trainers' rooms, man, when it's just the trainers and players and there's no managers or coaches around... I mean, there's probably some some really interesting stories told that he he he's heard a thousand of them. One of the things that strikes me about his career, though, is that, and it's like any athletic trainer with any ball club, is that you know the job is twenty four seven, and the fact that it's 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 a situation in where it, it, it's not a very high profile, you're not going to get a lot of attention you know, or publicity about it. You just go about it day in and day out. But those guys are the backbone of any team. They are, and, I mean, um, they have to have, you know, they have to be a conduit between the, the management of the team and the manager and the players and keep certain confidences. And, um, you know, there's just so much they have to be good at. And, I think a lot of people who aren't in baseball don't understand the time the time demands of the sport. As you know, media we get there two two to three o'clock, and people are always surprised to hear that you get there at two thirty for the game at seven. Right? Well, yeah, there's interviews and pregame stories and all. There's we you know we put in a half a day before the game starts, and players get there then too, some earlier, and trainers probably way before that. So. You know, Richie, who knows? He's probably there at noon. He might be there before that for games that start at 7. And then when the game ends, I'm sure there's some treatment guys need and things they got to check on. And, I mean, you know, and then they, they just, they just you're right, 24-7 is pretty much it for them. Steve, let me ask you this before we get to the Orioles and some of the things that happened this week, and that's the World Series. Astros win a really, really great World Series in seven games over the Dodgers. And, you know, you look back to the 13-12 the to 12 game, you look back to game two, uh, just the amount of drama that came out of this World Series, uh, just unbelievable. And, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about 
World Series games beating out things like Monday night football or Sunday night football and TV ratings. Uh, obviously, with some of the problems the NFL's having right now, I don't think it's a surprise. But just the ratings off the chart for Fox in this World Series, and it didn't even include the Yankees. You know, it's, it was great to watch and a lot of drama, a lot of fun. And if the baseball is juiced, I don't know, but <laughs> it might never get unjuiced because people seem to love that kind of game and that kind of drama. And so it's kind of ironic that, it, yeah, there wasn't a lot of drama in Game 7 after six games of it for the most part, but uh, it sure was impressive what the Astros have done when you consider how far out you know, and how bad they were for so long for, you know, those three years, lost 100 games. You know, I think I think one of the things that people are going to miss about this World Series championship with them under A.J. Hinch is the fact that you think about Bo Porter, former third-base coach of the Nationals, he went down there as a manager, and Dave Tremblay went on. I mean, they had a big impact on some of those young kids that went on to star for this team and, and, and help them win this World Series. Yeah, a lot of people, Rich Dower, who we know, of yeah. course, and, you know, so there's some connections there, and, you know, a lot of good people had their hands on that, Jeff Luneau, and gets a lot of credit, and deservedly so, and he would pass that around, I'm sure, and some of those names we mentioned would be in there. All right, with the Orioles now, this week, uh, we know, and not unexpected by any means, J.J. Hardy, uh, Wade Miley. Uh, options not picked up. We talked a lot to J.J. toward the end of the year uh, as far as his tenure with the Orioles, and I, and I know he still believes he can play, uh, but now it's a matter of him finding a place. Uh, how do you see what the Orioles did there going forward? Uh, and then I'll ask you about Chris Tillman along with those two is the fact that you know, do you think there is a one-year deal and a minimum amount of money for Chris that they, they could incentive laden that deal and see if he can find uh, his form from previous seasons before the uh, I don't shoulder? Know. I mean, MLB trade rumors predicted he'd get $10 million, and that seems high to me. When yeah. When you get to an ERA of 7.8, and, you know, um, the stats were so terrible for Tillman. And that's uh, $10 million to me. If a team's going to give him that, I mean, he'll be happy to sign, and, um, he's got a track record, and maybe that's what creates that. But that, you know, if he was going to sign with the Orioles for a very low minimum, that wouldn't be have them on the hook for much and then have to prove himself. That would be something to look at. Uh, my opinion is if he, if the team offers him $10 million and the Orioles would have to give him that, that's too much to give to be to be not sure if he can do it anymore or can return to his previous level. And, you know, I, I just don't know what caused him to go from pitching to a certain level for most of five years to that uh, when, he, when they kept insisting he's not hurt. Um, and so those two things didn't add up to me. Uh, when you look at uh, this team from a pitching standpoint, you're, you know, winter meetings are five weeks away. Uh are you hearing any rumblings in terms of what they may do? No, and the Orioles never put any out to the local media. I mean, right. maybe a few things get slipped here and there, but they're close to the vest. And uh, if if it happens the way it's happened in the past, um, 
some of this, some of these rumors will get out more through the national media anymore. It seems like, uh, and that probably means agents and other people from other teams talk more than the Oriole people, who are pretty tight-lipped, and they're just not going to lay out to you who they have truly have interest in, or who they really want, um, or what their pecking order is. You know, but they've got to have it, and they probably realize that there has there has to be some signings out there and they just can't be the the modest signings to t- turn around a rotation that had the worst ERA in team history so we're all curious as to see what the next few months are going to hold here well in in terms of uh you know Adam Jones and and then of course Manny Machado Jonathan Scope uh what we saw out of Trey Mancini it looks like there's a nucleus there that can be pretty formidable uh, from a catching standpoint. It looks like Castillo is not going to uh, accept that uh, option. So where does that leave them catching-wise, though, now heading into next year? I, I'm okay with Joseph Cisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the Orioles okay? We're going to find out. And I think Caleb, when he plays more, he can hit. You know, he can hit a little bit. Um, and Cisco would just be interesting to see what he could bring with the offense. Um, you know, the one element of his game that wasn't there to any big degree was power, and yet in the second half, especially in the final month or two of uh, 2017, he hit a few more homers at Norfolk, and he hit a couple in Baltimore. And uh, we've seen many players hit more homers in Baltimore than Norfolk because of that park, Trey Mancini, to name one. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think Cisco could do it too, but I'm not talking about 25 homers. I don't think he could do that. If he played every day, I've had scouts tell me he's an 8, 10, 12 homer guy. And, you know, if he played every day and held his own defensively, maybe he could hit 280, 290, 300, 12 homers, 70 RBIs. I mean, he would be a, a decent offensive catcher. And maybe he's capable more than that. You know, Scope produced more than scouts said he would five years ago. So um, it's going to be curious to see. I, I think it's they've reached a point with him where they pretty much, uh, he's done all the minor league seasoning, and so can he play at this level? Time to find out. From a pitching standpoint at the minor league level right now, is there anybody, and, and obviously we saw a lot of that last year, uh, especially the last two months of the season, uh, but but is there anything on the horizon that you can really point to for this club? I mean, there's no one. Yeah, if there was, we'd be talking more about him. But I do like David Hess, and he had a strong finish at Bowie. Um, and I've seen him pitch several big games. Uh, I seem to be there. When I watch him pitch, he seems to excel. Not because I'm there, but it just seems I hit it on nights he's pitched well. I haven't seen him pitch often and not do well. And he had a big finish to the seasons, a four-pitch mix, and he's coming up for the Rule 5. So he is, I think they're going to add him to the 40-man because, mm-hmm. the, you know, in a, in a pitching organization desperate for homegrown starting pitching, uh, I'm not selling him as a top 100 prospect. He's not going to be that. But he has some talent, and he's big, strong guy, durable, throws 92, 94, and I just think you protect that player. Um, and so we're going to see if the Orioles do. And I don't know. I mean, this, this he could be knocking on the door this year after a couple years of double-A. Either, you either could keep him at Bowie. I mean, certainly he's ready for triple-A, and he might be ready for more. 
In terms of uh, Buck Showalter and and Dan Duquette heading into this uh, off season, uh, and and whatever conversations they're having, obviously with with Peter and 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 you know the folks in the warehouse. Uh, I'm I'm looking at this as kind of maybe the the Orioles are going down that same path. Do you see any kind of a change in terms of maybe money, you know, for a starting pitcher? Or, you know, will they take a different tact- tactical uh, approach to this offseason? They have money to spend. I think their payroll is probably 115 right now in terms of what's on the books for next year. And it was 160-ish, I think, this year. And so there's a little buffer there to add some money. Um, you know, and that's counting the arbitration raises. That's factoring them in. So, uh, you know, if, if some of these guys are signing for the per-year dollars that MLB Trade Rumors predicted, like um, $14 million, I think it was, for Lance Lynn, and maybe it was 12 for Alex Cobb, that, that seems very doable to me if I'm the Orioles. So... Do they feel that way? I don't know, but I'm just looking at what they have available, what's coming off the books, and you could work in one or both of those pitchers, I would think, and not be way over the payroll. And, of course, as you know, you always have to look years in advance. You don't want to lock yourself into too much future money, but at the same time, you if they've made the decision, we're keeping this team together to try to win – don't they need to add some pitching? So, I mean, it just seems like kind of a natural to me. And I thought those pitchers would might might be able to, to get more than what they were projected, but but four times 15 or something in that range. Right. If, that, if that's the conversation, then I'm, if I'm the Orioles, I've got to be having those conversations. Our last few minutes with Steve Molesky of Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com. Uh, I have one question, and then Bonza has a question for you, but my last question is uh, on Tim Beckham. We saw what the first month after the trade uh, from Tampa was all about and how well he played. September, maybe not as good, obviously, but uh, has this team found their shortstop of the future now with him? Uh, Obviously, they've got team control of him for quite a while, but, I mean, is this the guy that really can take over that position? I think he is their guy today, um, but I'm not 100% sold on him because he did have such a poor finish, and he had two opposite ends of the spectrum months, yeah. and his defense was inconsistent. Uh, you you can see the skills there. He certainly has some range. He's got a decent arm. He, he moves around well, um, but he also has some inconsistencies at shortstop, which I think is, is the track record. So uh, I think he is their guy today. I don't. I, I think they're planned to open the season with him at short. That would surprise me if it's anybody else. And the good news is, you know, one thing I mentioned today when I wrote about him a little bit is he's going to be 28, and he's coming into that age range where uh, your is your peak years. And you know, this is the age that Justin Turner took off, as we know, playing at a much greater level than he ever had. And I'm not saying Beckham's going to do that, but he had the talent to be the first pick in the draft. And we, you, you see obvious skills, and he has some speed. He brings some energy. 
So when he was sitting at the top of that order in August, this, the offense was prolific when he was really going great. Right. So, I mean, he, he might be a real key to the offense more than we think. People are always thinking, can Davis and Trumbo bounce back? But if, if uh, Beckham can be, you know, he's not going to hit 400 for a month like he did in August almost. But if he can be more towards that than the September Beckham version, that could be really meaningful for that offense. Hey, uh, Steve, before we let you go, I do want to ask you a question. A um, little bit of a change of topic. You and I are both Towson alum. So I have there to you ask go. you, how about the Towson football team last week beating number 23 Delaware on homecoming night? Wait a minute. This is a baseball show. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that was fun. I was there all day and uh, long before the game and went out after the game with friends. And we had a great time. And Delaware is the, big, the biggest rival for Towson yep. football. Uh, and to beat Delaware was a great thing. And so we've had a terrible season. <laughs> and it's been very disappointing. So that was a nice blip on the radar. And uh, I really, my overall take on the Tigers, and I'm, I love the Tigers, as you know, and I'll right. support them to the day I die. But I was a little disappointed that our football's falling off a little bit here. Yeah. Our basketball team should be really good, and we're looking forward to uh, what they got coming here, and they start next Friday night. So I think we're in for a really good year with the hoops. How many, yeah. how many games a year for the hoops do you, will you get a chance to see? You know, it'll be more this year because we went to probably six or eight last year, and we really uh, liked it. Uh, and the arena at CQ Arena is fantastic. It's beautiful. Who's never been there? That is a, just one beautiful arena. It's, a, it's small, and it's, it suits our needs. But it's it's for our for a mid manger. It's plush. It's nice, mm-hmm. and we love going there. And Pat Scary's pro. He's building a program, Craig. It's not just a. Right. I don't think he's going to be a one or two or three year winner. He's got kids at all, freshmen, sophomores. Yep. Uh, that are good at all classifications and you can see he's building a really good program and i'm very encouraged and we're going to show up a lot this year to watch his team talk about rebuilding when scary first coached the tiger baseball uh, basketball team they were one in 31 it was unbelievable um <laughs> uh my friend he uh, pat kennedy just did a horrendous job at Towson. there's no other way to put it uh i told pat scary i said you didn't inherit ground zero you inherited <laughs> negative 100 i mean pat kennedy he he killed that program and then he threw 100 pounds of dirt on top i mean he just was terrible i'm sorry to say it be harsh but there's no other way to put it mm-hmm. uh he brought in transfers who weren't good he, he had some kids who were marginal and some of their character issues and he did a lot wrong um <laughs> And it was really, really bad. And so Pat Scary had to. He's a miracle man as far as I'm concerned. No, onward and upward, as they say, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, Craig, 131, buddy. You and I could have coached him to that. <laughs> we could we have played on that team. What are you talking about? <laughs> holy, holy cow, 131? You and I could have shown up 10 minutes before game time and got five wins out of it. Exactly. Steve Molesky of MassInSports.com, thanks so much for being with us on the bat around today because in the next half hour, we're going to be talking a lot about the the Dave Martinez hire, and of course, you know, as you know, that's baseball down the road. 
Down the road, man. Down the road. Steve. Uh, the farther down the road we get, the less I know and the more you know. So that works better than I'm getting leaving right now. Steve, thanks a lot for being with us. Thanks, Steve. All right. See you, Greg. All right. And when we come back, uh, that is uh, Steve Molesky of MassInSports.com. But when we come back, we will be delving into the Dave Martinez hire, officially announced as the manager of the Nationals, taking over for Dusty Baker, who uh, was not brought back by the Nats after uh, back-to-back uh, division uh, series playoff losses uh, this year and last year. So uh, we're going to, first of all, talk to Charlie Slows, who is the uh, Nationals play-by-play voice, uh, and uh, he goes way back with Dave Martinez as a player, and also uh, Charlie used to be the play-by-play voice for the Tampa Bay Rays as mm-hmm. well several years ago before he became the uh, Washington Nationals play-by-play announcer. We'll hear from Charlie, and then uh, we'll also have Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post coming up in the next hour on the Bat Around right after this break. Everyone knows that Full Circle Tire and Auto in Abingdon, that's where I take my vehicle whenever I have any issue whatsoever. And that's because there's a Full Circle difference. They understand my vehicle is my life and they know they need to get it taken care of in a timely manner and work with me to make arrangements. In fact, the most recent time that I took my vehicle to Full Circle Tire and Auto, Dave, he simply gave me a ride home personally after I dropped my car off there. That's the difference they make at Full Circle Tire and Auto. You can stop in and see them. 1304 Governor's Court Unit 110 in Abingdon. Give them a call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or find them on the web fullcircletirementauto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've been in Section 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Job and Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise... 
I'm gonna need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I fit, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash football. There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. Welcome back to the Bat Around. I'm Craig Heiss, sitting in for Stan the Fan this week, and our guest is Charlie Slows, the play-by-play voice of the Washington Nationals. And, well, there's a new manager in town, and we've seen this a few times here. Yeah, we have. Uh, Davey Martinez introduced uh, this uh, past week as the manager of the Nationals, and uh, I'm very excited. I've known him for almost 20 years, and uh, went back to when he was a player in Tampa Bay with that expansion team. Uh, our kids were all babies pretty much then and now we're all old and they're grown and uh but you know he played for a lot of different managers in his playing career he played for dusty baker rookie manager 100 we've heard that story several times 103 games in 1993 and they missed the postseason so he knows what it was like then to play for a rookie manager played for veteran managers he played for a hall of famer and bobby cox and uh he's worked with joe madden who down the road who knows may be a hall of fame manager as his bench coach the last 10 years we asked dave in the press conference about you know, being with Joe all these years, what do you think is the one thing about being under Joe on the bench there that you think he takes with him into this job? Well, I think he's innovative. I think he's going to do things in game. And, you know, we saw how the Cubs operate in postseason games. We saw them hold a runner at third base in the first inning of a game with a one nothing lead, bring the infield in put Chris Bryant on the third base bag to hold Trey Turner, and he ended up not getting a good jump on a, a ground ball to, to second base, and he got thrown out at the plate by a good margin. Um, they, they won't necessarily do things by the book. Uh, we saw that with Wade Davis, two and a third innings to, to pitch and close out game five. I think a lot of what you saw Joe Madden do are ideas that also come from Davey Martinez. He was given a lot of responsibilities, the bench coach, in relating to players when they were playing, when they – when they were going to be off, when he thought they needed a rest. Uh, I think his, his communication skills were extremely utilized by Joe Madden. And every player you talk to in the teams he's been involved with, they love him. Well, he comes here and takes over a team that's been to the postseason for the last six years, hasn't gotten past the LDS in each one of those years. How is he being here making that scenario different for this team? Well, uh, you know, it's unfortunate when you, you can't get past that first round. And, you know, well, if that was the reason that uh, ownership and baseball operations decided to make a change, then, then certainly uh, he, he's to incorporate his ideas through the course of regular season. And the Nats are fortunate enough to get back to the postseason, see some of the things that he will implement then that might be different to help get them over the hump and, and get them past that first round of the division series. I guess not to be a Debbie Downer on this, but... You know, Dusty 
two titles, two division titles in two years. We saw what Davey did here. We saw what, you know, Matt Williams was able to do here. And then you look to this past season, John Farrell's fired. Joe Girardi's not coming back with the Yankees, and he's a game away from going to the World Series. I mean, what do you got to do to keep a job in this business anymore? Well, I always think there's more that goes on than we really – Well, I'm sure. And, and decisions you would think are not totally – based on on that i mean dave dombrowski said in a press conference that it wouldn't have mattered how many postseason games they won they won the whole thing that john farrell was that they were making a managerial change no matter what so you'd have to think that there was some relationship difficulties there and in and the inner workings of the red sox with john farrell philosophy differences uh maybe an unhappy clubhouse i mean we don't know there's always more to it than you do know and not everybody tells you the reasons they make a change i'm I, you know as surprised as people were here and like you mentioned joe girardi and the yankees after 10 years uh people there are people who be stunned and then there are people who are involved with the club that wouldn't be surprised that they decided to make a change. Right, because we know that there were some tiffs and rifts between Girardi and Brian Cashman. But does it slap in the face of consistency? And, I mean, I grew up watching the Orioles play. And the one thing you could always count on in the Oral Weaver days, 14 years, was that team was either first, second, or third in any one given year. And most of the time, it's first or second. Right, and they're always managing the 14 years. <laughs> right. You don't, you know, how, how in this era, how many managers do you see stay with one club that long anymore? I mean, you look, we mentioned Bobby Cox with the Braves all those years. and, and But, you know, what's the lifespan of a manager or a head coach in, in professional sports? Um, but I'm glad you brought that up because there's Bobby Cox's teams that go to 14 straight playoff appearances. They win 10 division titles. And there's only one World Series. Right. They only won one World Series. They won the divisions all those years. And uh, they, got to, they got to more than one World Series. They just they only won one. Um, you know, I, I just I don't know if we're going to see. I mean, I'd like to see. I'd like to come back in 10 years and have this conversation. <laughs> Davey Martinez is managing, and they've won a couple of world championships. You just don't, you don't see the lifespan. And, and that's why even in Joe Girardi's case, 10 years in this era is like an eternity. You have to think, though, that Dave is sitting in that dugout across the way with the Cubs looking at Strasburg, Scherzer, Gio, Tanner Roark, and what he's able going to be able to run out there. Oh, I I talked to Davey uh, after the Cubs lost to the Dodgers, and uh, and he was, you know, the talks that he was going to interview here. And, you know, his, his thought was, looking from the other dugout, the Nationals have as good a chance as any of these elite teams to win the whole thing again next year. He's what what guy wouldn't want to take over the reins of this club with the pitching talent and the offensive talent they have going into next year. Charlie Slows, Nats broadcaster. Thanks so much for being with us on the batter round. Yeah. And that's going to take us from Charlie uh, to our hotline and uh, go out there and talk to Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, who was at the press conference on Thursday, and uh, Chelsea, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. What was your initial impression of uh, you know uh, of him? And 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 you know Martinez comes in and he says all the right things. I think that ownership wants to hear in terms of we want to win the World Series. Uh, but as I told Charlie in our interview, you know they could go out and win another division, and there's no guarantees. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think he, yeah, like you said, he said all the right things. I think he sort of got a lot 
comfortable as he went. You know, I think at first he, he was kind of, uh, he just seemed anxious, as you can understand, but I think you started to see flashes of the personality come out in a really genuine way, and I think, like, that's that's sort of what we'd heard about him. That's, we'd heard that that personality and that the people skills were, were the thing, and um, I think we got a little glimpse of it, but probably don't have kind of the full picture yet. I read a column earlier this morning, and, and the basis of the column was uh, it's not good enough to be a good manager anymore. And I think we see that with Joe Girardi. We see that with John Farrell, even though there's obviously some rift between uh, Dombrowski and Farrell up in Boston where he said, you know, even if they'd have won the World Series, uh, Farrell wasn't coming back. There's a tiff between uh, Girardi and Brian Cashman in New York. And, and the fact that Dusty goes two years winning back-to-back NLEs titles and they don't get into the next round, uh, obviously that's an issue for this club. It's something that still hangs over their head. But again, I, I, I almost say be careful what you wish for, and I'm not saying that Martinez can't come in here and do a great job, but there is also that factor of never having managed in the major leagues despite the fact that he has sat next to Joe Madden for about 10 years. Yeah, I I think that there is a real kind of growing, not tension necessarily everywhere, but certainly like a changing relationship between GMs and front office and managers. I think there's certainly more of a hands-on, you know, tide coming, you know, where the kind of general managers are saying, here's how you're going to use analytics, here's how you're going to do this and that, and, and, you know, what actually is up to the manager has really changed, I think. But, you know, from for this I think that Martinez is a really good person because <clears throat> you have a strong-willed guy in, in Rizzo who is determined not to, you know, be in his head, you know, every day. You know, I know with Dusty, Rizzo would disagree with decisions. He'd go in a couple days later and say, hey, man, what, you know, walk me through that. They'd talk it through, and they'd disagree, and that was fine. But I think with Martinez, you know, he'll get a chance to make his decisions, but is is probably a guy that they'll feel is going to be more receptive to stuff from the top and more receptive to, you know, whatever amount of analytics they want to use and, and a guy who is going to be a little more malleable than, than Dusty. So I think he's a good fit because he's he's not going to be so hard-headed and have kind of the experience behind him to be hard-headed. And I think that, you know, the, there'll probably be a different working dynamic between him and Rizzo and it's not that the other one didn't work, but nothing's worked. They've never gotten past that first round. So why not, you know, try a guy who, you know, might incorporate, you know, kind of everybody's ideas and, and doesn't have all those years of, you know, time-hardened habits to work with. How much of a uh, factor do you think that, uh, you know, Harper's in the last year is is next year, Rizzo's contract is up over uh, after next year. How much of a factor do you think? And I, and I know we asked Mike about this, and he says, well, I don't see this as a window. I see this as, you know, four or five years of being able to compete at a high level. So, but, but I mean, still, how much of a factor do you think that played into this decision? Um, I, I think it's hard to say. You know, I, I think if you were going to build, you know, get a manager for one year, and to go at it with all these guys in the last year of their deals and whatever, you probably stick with Dusty. He's the experienced guy. If you said, hey, we're going for it this year with all these guys, then that's probably your guy. Um, I think that the Martinez hire is one that shows, you know, a, a real sense that they want to continue to grow, which sounds kind of silly. But, you know, I think they do have a lot of young players. I mean, you got Turner, you got Moonblaze, you got 
you know, if you really want to make a push at Harper, which you might not be able to, but you've got Rendon, who's, you know, still pretty young. You know, there's all these sort of young characters that are going to be around. I mean, they're not going to drop off a whole lot after 2018. They're going to be different, but they're not going to fall out of, you know, being relevant in any way. So I think it's a really interesting kind of bridge hire to have Martinez come in this year, maybe, you know, take a shot at that World Series, build the credibility, and then, you know, start to kind of maybe grow up with the next, wave and I think you know that's that's why three years and you know with the fourth option kind of felt so encouraging from the Nats because they don't do that but it sort of showed this you know willingness to say you know what we think we have a young core coming you know we're going to take our shot but this is the guy we think can maybe bring us into the next phase of you know whatever Nats history or whatever so I think it's a really interesting hire at a really interesting time but I don't think it was made you know to they say it was to win the World Series, but if, if you wanted to pick one guy to go win a World Series for one year, it's probably not Dave Martinez. Yeah. You know, I think it's an interesting hire to kind of look forward with. Well, certainly, certainly it will be interesting from the standpoint of all the years that he has spent with Joe Madden, and I and I think we know what kind of a manager he is, and I had a chance to deal with him when he was uh, the manager of the Rays, and uh, you know, obviously when he comes to town with the Cubs now, but the one thing that he's always done is keep a loose clubhouse and and make it a lot of fun for the players, whether it's, you know, theme night, whether it's dressing up a certain way on road trips, that kind of thing. And I'm just wondering how a, how a, uh, a Ryan Zimmerman or a Daniel Murphy, a Matt Weeders, how, how they're, you know, Max Scherzer, how they're going to react to that kind of thing. If indeed, yeah. if indeed Martinez decides, you know, maybe we can do that here. I bet, you know, I bet he will decide that and he kind of hinted at that in the press conference. I, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, Ryan Zimmerman's obviously a, you know, kind of a even-keeled guy who's not, you know, for much kind of rah-rah craziness. But, you know, I, I think a lot of the guys in there will be really receptive to it. And um, I'm interested to see. You know, I think, like I say, you know, they, they haven't, whatever they've been doing hasn't paid off in, you know, some kind of intangible way, right? Like, they've become within a run of the NLCS for two straight years right? after two of the craziest games. Like, that is not a tangible problem with this team that's preventing them from moving on. They, they're there. I mean, they're within a run. It's, it's something else. So if you, you know, bring in a guy who's known for building clubhouse culture, you're not saying that this clubhouse culture is inherently broken, but you're also acknowledging the fact that something has been missing. And... You know, I think that they should be really receptive to it, and, and for the most part will be, but um, there are a lot of veterans in there. And I know Max, you know, like Scherzer's, you know, with work on, Scherzer's going to be one of the really dominant personalities there. Scherzer's the guy who initiated dressing the whole team up for the last road trip of the season for the last few years instead of just the rookies and wanted everyone to look stupid and, and is that kind of presence. So I think they'll be into it, and, you know, I think they should buy in because, you know, they've come so close and maybe maybe that little, you know, stupid intangible stuff that people talk about is the difference at this point. We're talking with Chelsea James of the Washington Post, covers the Washington Nationals, and we're talking about the new hire of the Nationals, and that's Dave Martinez as their new skipper as he takes over for Dusty Baker. And Chelsea, uh, we got some news from the Nats yesterday out of all of that, too. As far as Daniel Murphy is concerned, it looks as though uh, – he had uh, the cleanup surgery and uh, maybe a little bit more serious than 
what they let on to, to, to have us believe, at least. And now it appears that uh, spring training might be in jeopardy and maybe even the start of next season. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like from, from looking at the surgery that it's a, it's a big one, and no one has really established any kind of um, I think, but in researching it and talking to doctors, like my colleague Jorge Castillo talked to a couple of them and said, this is a, this is a big one. This is six months. This is, you know, mid-season. Um, Rizzo was a little more optimistic, said they expect him, you know, are optimistic he can be ready for opening day. But he's not going to be Daniel Murphy on opening day. I think that's pretty clear, and that's a big deal. That's a really big deal because, you know, if if he's immobile and can't play second base, where do you put him? You know, if he's still recovering, what do you do with him? You can't put him at first. Where are you going to put Zimmerman? So I think it's, it's a really interesting problem. Um, one thing I don't know is if it maybe helps them get a bit of a discount if they want to keep him in free agency after the season. You know, if he's not quite himself or whatever. I don't know how that changes that, but I think it's a big deal. And I think it's one week that was totally off all of our radars until that day and really has slid under the radar since because nobody's clarified anything and no one's been real clear about it um, despite our best efforts. So I think it's a big deal. And I think it's, it was pretty shocking to hear that because you know he obviously played, played through his trouble for months. Yeah. And, uh, while it might not have looked all that bad during the playoffs, uh, you can probably tell now that he was hurting pretty well. Yeah, I mean, there were times where he'd get a few days off at a time, and you really see him looking kind of clunky out there, and, and you just figure he's beat up, you know. And, and every time I saw him, it, you know, they would say it was a hamstring, and he'd have heat on his hamstring, or they, you know, they'd say whatever. You know, it, it everything kind of added up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe the new thing was, just something he knew he'd have to deal with at some point and, and just kind of put off. But it, it, it kind of came out of nowhere, and, and I think I'm surprised we don't have more information from anyone involved yet, which makes me think maybe it's a much bigger deal than they want to admit. Well, I think that's probably what it is. But, uh, you know, if there was one good thing that came out of last year, it was with all of the injuries, we found out how good and how deep that bench is. And if they have to deal with it for a month into the season until he gets 100% healthy, I think they can do that. Definitely. You know, and I think they're going to have to go out and find a pretty reliable backup infielder. Um, not that Defoe can't be that guy. I think Defoe's shown this year that he can be an everyday guy, which is a big, big deal for them. But, you know, I think they need a Steven Drew type that they can really rely on and throw in there. And, you know, Drew doesn't seem to be that kind of reliable guy anymore health-wise so you got to look elsewhere I don't know if Howie Kendrick is something they'll look at and say hey we bring this guy back he can play every day whatever but you know if you had to go with Defoe I don't think you're too upset about it I think he's a he's not Daniel Murphy but he's similar in that you know he's going to make contact he's going to sort of put the ball in play and and be a guy you can rely on to do that so and obviously be a really good defender too so they're in shape to handle it but Wilmer Defoe is not Daniel Murphy, and when you're playing for you know World Series or bust, which is effectively what they've said, you need Daniel Murphy. Well, one of the things we do know who is coming back is Matt Weeders because he uh, decided to accept the uh, the option year, ten and a half million dollars, and you know he's going to come back coming off a year where he didn't really produce that well, except for maybe the first two two months of the season. 
Yeah, so as of yesterday, we heard that he was doing that, and then late last night heard that it's not done. So, like, that was a recent hours-ago development um, that has sent me railing for sure a little bit. But um, it's not that it's not going to happen, just that it's not done. And I don't know if that's kind of Scott Boris jockeying for position and, you know, saying that there's more of a market than there is for weeders. But I think that... uh, it makes all the sense in the world that he takes that money. It would be stunning if he didn't. He'd be leaving a lot on the table. Um, it would help the Nets a little bit if they wanted to kind of get out from under that contract. But I, I still expect them to take it. I, I just think that they want to kind of see if there is any interest out there, and I'd be surprised if there's 10.5 million worth of interest out there for him right now. Well, you would have to, you would really have to question that. And I know one of the things that strategically he did when he was here in Baltimore, and that was the year before he came to the Nationals, was to take the qualifying offer, and that turned out to be a really good thing for him because it gave him a chance to, coming off injuries and everything, gave him a chance to prove to the Orioles uh, you, you know, that he could still play, but it also gave him a chance to, to up his value uh, you know, if he decided to, to go elsewhere. And obviously it turned out that he got two years from the Nationals. Yeah, I think he expected to get more at that point, too. Um, but it, you're right. I mean, whatever he got was still better than, you know, kind of where the situation he was in. But, you know, taking the 10.5 at this point does give him the opportunity to reestablish value after a down year. It's sort of a built-in security blanket. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't take it. But, I mean, it's a Scott Boris situation, and nothing really surprises me when it comes to him anymore. Chelsea James of the Washington Post uh, covers the Nationals. One last question before I let you go, and that's uh, overall the Dave Martinez hiring. Uh, obviously, I don't think Dusty did anything wrong to get canned, but uh, I guess in this day and age we live in in baseball uh, and, and some of the management decisions, these are the things that happen. Uh, are, you, are you in favor of this hire? Um, yeah, I mean, I think after Dusty was gone, this was the guy they wanted, and they got him, and they, they gave him a market value deal, and from that perspective, they handled it perfectly. You know, they did it right, and I think he's a guy, you know, everybody's always talked about as a future manager. I think he's going to fit well here if he can build the relationships with the players, and he seems to be a guy who's able to do that. You know, our frame of reference is Matt Williams, right? Like, he's the rookie manager we look at and say, oh, man, that really didn't go well. Matt Williams wasn't a relationship builder. You know, Matt Williams was, as a player, from what I've heard, and just a person, really kind of internally turned. And and that's not a selfish thing. That's just how he was wired. And I think that Dave Martinez has always had a reputation for being just a more personable guy, you know, more about the people than the process and I think that's you know what will make him different whether that actually fits or not we'll see but I think you know for people who kind of flinch and say well haven't we done this before no you haven't because I think you know if anything Dave Martinez is more on the dusty side of things than the Mount Williams thing side of things outside of the experience that Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, thanks so much for being with us uh, this morning and sharing your thoughts on Dave Martinez, the new manager of the Washington Nationals. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to try to hook up with Richard Justice of MLB.com also because the uh, Astros, uh, as Bonza and I predicted so 
truthfully and rightly. <laughs> As always. As always. Uh, some guy who usually is here and wasn't here this week uh, uh, was picking the Dodgers. I have no idea what, what that happened, you know, what, what all that was about. But anyway, uh, I said six or seven when it started. So uh, we, we wound up getting seven. I originally said six, but we wound up getting seven, and it turns out that it's just a fabulous World Series when you stop to think about what was going on, everything, and the, and the pitching and the way A.J. Hinch managed the whole thing uh, coming down the stretch. So uh, certainly uh, a big win for the Astros. They get their first uh, uh, World Series title and uh, they wind up uh, bringing that home to Houston uh, in a situation in which when you think about the hurricane and everything that they've been through as a city down there, uh, you, you know, to remember they had to, uh, along the way, coming down the stretch, they had to uh, play a series in Tampa, uh, and they wind up uh, winning the World Series and, and you know, to have your lives uh, thrown into a little bit of a tizzy, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to do that and survive everything that they did uh, says a lot about the city, says a lot about the team and everything that they went through. And joining us on the phone right now is our good buddy Richard Justice of uh, MLB.com. Richard, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Well, you got a chance to see a heck of a World Series and certainly six of those games uh, so number seven, maybe a little anticlimactic, but nonetheless, without the dramas, the other six, but uh, you, you couldn't have asked for anything better uh, from a Houston standpoint to be able to, to, to bring that World Series championship home. First of all, first question, what did that mean for that city with everything that they've been through? Well, not just because of Hurricane Harvey, the, the sports history of the city. We were the city that, uh, and I've been here 17 years, uh, this was the city that blew a 32-point lead at Buffalo in the NFL playoffs. This is the city that the NFL team got up and left. You know, the, yeah. it, it won two championships. The Rockets won in 94 and 95, but pretty much everybody's been irrelevant since. And so I think everybody was just living with, what are they going to do to take it away from us now? And, even, you know, you said the last game was intense. There were people texting me saying, this is so – nerve-wracking i can't even watch it because when they were up five to one it felt like they were down nine to five you know and and really i don't think anybody believed it until the ball settled into the first baseman's glove and and it was just an outpouring of emotion aj hinch had a great line yesterday you know in the wake of the hurricane i mean i can't even tell you you know without getting teary about all the things the players did for the city george springer thought his home had been destroyed when they were on the road Jose Altuve went to the manager and said, how long I got to play like this? How long I got to feel like this? And AJ Hinch told him, said, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, it was just a, there was just a, AJ Hinch said, you know, we we're always asking a city to rally around a team. He said, but it's okay to ask a team to rally around a city too. And we we're not saying, you know, they didn't dry, they didn't dry one teaspoon of flood water or anything. But they did for a couple hours each day, gave people something great to rally around. And the team was so appealing, played with such joy. I mean, that it was it was impossible not to get caught up in their little quest. Well, you know, I can imagine from a player standpoint, and remember, they played that, uh, obviously, they played the series down in Tampa, you know. Right. And, and, and you know, so players are, 
are playing on the road when they're supposed to be home, not knowing what's going on back home. Right. And you've got family members and everything. You know, are the houses all right? Are, is your family okay? I mean, uh, right. you know, besides the daily grind of what's going on in the field, that's a heck of a burden to have to carry around. Yeah. A.J. Hinch said he, some friends of his, this was, he said this in Tampa, some friends of his had gotten a boat and went out and rescued a child, a, a family. And he says they sent it, he got a, saw a photo of a, one of his friends carrying a baby. And he just got teary and said, I, I, right now I just want to be back and I, I want to carry a baby. The mayor here, Sylvester, and they thought they were going to, they played the Rangers in Tampa. And they had planned to, they thought they were going to stay down there and play the Mets. And, um, and the mayor, Sylvester Turner, Sylvester Turner and A.J. Hinch became sort of the voices of the conscience of the city. Mm-hmm. And Sylvester Turner said, no, you guys come back here, and uh, we're going to consider this the, 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 the beginning of the Reconstruction. And, and the, they, the, the, the guys went down to the George R. R. Brown Convention Center on Friday before playing the doubleheader against the Mets. And, and um, I walked in with them, and uh, a cop pulls me aside. A cop that I knew pulled me aside and said, be prepared. Whatever you think it is, it's worse. I walked about 10 feet, and there was a table labeled missing persons, and people were lined up. And those guys rolled up their sleeves and uh, delivered groceries and played with kids, and, and they, you know, they, they did other animal rescue efforts. And the next day, there was just at the ballpark, and they played the Mets on a doubleheader. There was an explosion of emotion. They'd, they'd sort of been, they, they were, they'd lost 19 out of 30. You know, they had the division wrapped up and all that. They were gasping for air. And uh, they got a boost out of that. But, then, you know, a lot of it was they, they acquired Verlander, Correa, and McCullers came off the disabled list. So they got their whole team back, and they could also see the finish line. Well, let me ask you about this team that win, wins this World Series. And that I thought A.J. Hinch was fabulous from a couple of different standpoints. He winds up managing a bullpen that really, you know, was, was gassed in its own right. But then right. you, but then used a couple of his starters too to bridge that gap and really to close out some games, and 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 I thought the analytics at that point got thrown out the window, if you will, uh, to to see what Charlie Morton did, you know, to see what Brad Peacock did in that series. I don't think you can say enough about the job AJ Hinch did. No, he changed the way. I mean, you take you take a guy's bullpen away from him. You know, like if you'd asked me at the start of the World Series, I'd say. The Astros have a better lineup and they have a better rotation. Mm-hmm. But how do you get those last six or seven outs? And so they just made it up on the fly. Verlander pitched in relief. McCullers pitched in relief. I mean, he turned Peacock into a super reliever. Right. But the analytics part of it, they signed Brad, uh, Charlie Morton when he became a free agent last winter. Um, he asked his agent, you think I'll get any offers? He'd been hurt a lot. The Astros gave him a two-year offer and said, he's got some of the best stuff in baseball. And AJ said, you know, we kept giving the ball to Charlie Morton because our people in upstairs said, this guy's got dominant stuff. Same thing with Peacock. Uh, he, uh, I mean, Craig, this tells you like what a, cr- a, cr- a crazy game it is. And at the All-Star break in 2016, playing catch with a minor leaguer named Jordan Jankowski. Yeah. They since released. And Jordan tells him, this is how I hold my slider. Why don't you try it? And it's changed his whole career. You know, and then down on the field after the game, his father's, you know, everybody's so emotional about it. I, George Springer's father said to me, don't even look at me because I'm, I'm about to lose it. And I looked over, his mother was crying. Yeah, it just it meant so much to so many people. But, you know, when A.J. Hinch got hired, 
I had text messages from people that said, I can't believe they hired this clown. Right. And he'd had a bad experience in Arizona. And one of the things he learned is you've got to do a better job relating to player players. But the guy who hired him there, Josh Burns, said to me, you got to give this guy a chance. He goes, I screwed that up. I gave him a bad team. And, and Craig, I'm telling you, I, I've never dealt with a guy better with relating to players, managing bullpen, collaborating with the, the data that he gets from the front office, and all of that. When Alex Bregman comes up, he's a year out of LSU, starts two for 30. AJ calls him in and says, uh, listen, uh, I'm moving you from sixth in the batting order to second. And the reason I'm doing it, that reflects what I think of you and what the organization thinks of you. I mean, who does something like that? Yeah. You know, in Twitter, they're wanting to release the guy and all that. A funny follow-up to that story is early in the season, Bregman wasn't in the lineup, and he didn't. He was mad. He wanted to be in, and, and uh, AJ said to him, and he could say this because he had the background now. He said to him, well, I needed to get Marwin Gonzalez in there for some at-bats. And so I put the names of all the infielders in a hat and drew one out. And he goes, oh, you drew my name out. And he goes, no, I drew Correa's name out, but I put it back in there and drew another one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, but but yeah. you know what? When you talk about this game being crazy – and, and it really is. When you get to the postseason, it's, it's more of a crapshoot than it is anything else, I think, anymore right. with the way the, the playoff system is. But when you look back to that Yankee series and you're talking about you win the first two games, you score a total of four runs, you get absolutely shut down going to New York, and then you have to come back and win two at home to advance. But, but when you look at what happened with that, you, you see the top of that lineup did virtually nothing and then right. all of a sudden, George Springer winds up being your MVP of the World Series. <laughs> well, he was he had four strikeouts in game one. Yeah. People were asking, AJ, you're going to bench the guy? What are you going to do? And he goes, my players are going to know I have their back. Now, that's what he told us. What, he, what we didn't know is he had texted George and said, basically paraphrased Jeff Van Gundy, uh, what he once told Tracy McGrady is, <laughs> this is going to be your finest hour. You know? yeah. and, uh, and, and George says, when a guy has your back like that, uh, how how can you how can you not feel great about it? You know, let me just say, for people who want to know about George Springer, uh, his grandfather is George Springer Sr. His father is an attorney in Connecticut, George Springer Jr. So the player is George Springer the third. But Google his his grandfather's name. He's had a quite a lengthy obit in the Washington Post when he died about 15 years ago. He was. He was a big-time guy. He was, a, he was head of the teachers' union for a while and, and watching a Panamanian immigrant. And uh, <laughs> it's a pretty special family. They got they, You know, Craig, it's never going to – they can win it three more years in a row and nothing's going to be like the first one because it's just magic. You know, you, what are you going to get out of Morton? What are you going to get out of Peacock? You're going to go into the World Series and you're going to have no bullpen and your manager's going to fix it with duct tape and paper clips. You know, right. who, who, who makes this stuff up? I tell you, you know what, though, and, and, you know, we talk about it in this area between Baltimore and Washington, and that's that, you know, for all the hardships that that, that team endured, the 100 lost seasons and things of that nature, two guys, Bo Porter and also Dave Trembley, were, right. were, were there kind of setting the table, if you will, for some of these young guys who went on to have a great postseason. Yeah, and, it, you know, the thing is, when you tear it down, I remember telling Jim Leland, this is what they're going to do. This guy, Jim Crane, bought the team. He hired a guy great in the draft, Jeff Luno from the Cardinals. This is what they're going to do. They're going to tear it down. 
And now that's sort of what other people are doing now. But at the time, it was unheard of. And Jim Leland just kind of said, no, they're not going to do that. When you lose 10 in a row, when your TV ratings, your fans, your tickets, all that suffer, you're going to go out and sign some old guys. And they stayed the course. And, Craig, you pay a price for it. Yeah. Your TV ratings go to zero. Your ballpark is empty. People, it's not even people don't like the team. People have apathy. You know, they've only come, I think they drew 2.5 $2. million this year. They were not back. They were a 3 million attendance team when they went to the World Series in 05. And so, you know, it's a process. You you pay a price when you're going to go down this road. But Jeff Leno's first draft, he drafts Correa, saves some money there, drafts McCullers, drafts a kid named Rio Ruiz, who he traded for Gaddis, and they, they were off and running. But they also, they were able to see things in others, like, Colin McHugh waiver claim. He tells this pitching coach. He hired Brent Strom as his pitching coach, who'd been out of ball, been working at a pet store in Albuquerque. And Brent said, only a nut job like Jeff Luna would hire a nut job like me, a guy that was willing to feet first into the analytics, the high fastball. How do you get people out? What works? You know, they told Charlie Morton, says, we, we don't say, we're not telling you to throw your curveball 3% more, 5% more. We're telling you to throw your curveball. Right. And People probably know when McCullers finished the game out against the Yankees, finished with 24 straight curveballs. That's what analytics is. If something works, why don't you do it more? Right. Uh, when And again, and we're talking with Richard Justice of MLB.com, uh, covered the World Series, lives in Houston, knows what this World Series title uh, means to the team, means to the city and everybody involved. Uh, the Nationals just introduced Dave Martinez as their new manager, replacing Dusty Baker. Again, one of the guys that have sat next to Joe Madden uh, for about 10 years, and I think we can all agree that Joe's probably one of the most innovative guys around uh, about when you think about analytics and, and, and guys that are innovative, that's what the learners and Mike Rizzo are hoping that Dave Martinez brings to this team uh, but again, I always say, like we say, it's a crapshoot. There's no guarantees, you know, that there's going to be anything more than a division title again next year. Well, and that's what Jeff Luno said. The goal is to get into contention. He goes, when you get the playoffs, it's a, it's a, it's a roll of the dice. He goes, you just feel like, and I think Mike Rizzo's actually said this. If you get into a position where a bad year is 85 wins and a good year is 95 wins, uh, you're going to eventually have success in the playoffs. When you go back and look at how the Astros won, I mean, they had a tough time with Boston. They only went four games, but they had to beat Sale and Kimbrell. Who does that? And in the World Series, Marvin Gonzalez hits an 0-2 fastball in the ninth inning over the center field wall against the best closer in baseball. Yep. Who does that? That ball doesn't go over the center field wall. We're, the, the parade is probably in L.A. yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And let me ask you about Dave Roberts now. When you think about, you know, there were a couple times where he used Kenley probably a little bit more than he needed right. to, and maybe that winds up costing him in the end. Yeah, it's an organizational decision on some of those things. You know, he used Kenley in game six. I think he only threw 19 pitches. I think at this point in the season, um, and I speak more for the Astros, they had seven or eight guys that were out of gas. And I mean position players, like Correa and Altuve were hurt. Everybody's just, I mean, you've played 180 games, 200 games when you count spring training, and uh, you're out of gas, and so you're just trying to figure it out as you go along. AJ, said, AJ Hinch said, I'm watching Charlie Morton finish the game seven, 
He goes, and we have a TV, big TV screen in the dugout, one of their bullpen, one of our bullpen. He said, and our bullpen was Justin Verlander and Dallas Keuchel throwing. So we got our guy trying to finish the World Series, and I've got two Cy Young Award winners warming in the bullpen. They're both exhausted, but they're going to try to do whatever they have to do to get this thing. He goes, and that image of those two guys in the bullpen and Charlie pitching his guts out, uh, that's what – I'll remember forever because you just don't, you know, everybody's doing all that they can, even though they're out of gas. <laughs> well, I got new. I, it's, it was fabulous to watch. And uh, I don't think that uh, there were not too many people, at least in this area, that were pulling for the Astros just because of everything that's happened down there. But the, sure. the ball club is just a great story. A.J. Hinch is a great story. You feel good for Justin Verlander because I think that's the move that probably put them over the top coming down the stretch and giving them the confidence yep. to say, look, if this guy's going out there, you know, we have a shot. <laughs> so, yeah, 124 when they needed the elimination game in game six against the Yankees. 124 pitches, and there was a point where you know where they go down and ask about him. Like after the fifth inning, they didn't even look at him. Like, yeah, it's yours, baby. That's right. <laughs> Whatever we do today, you're gonna do it. Yeah, so, you you take this ball from me, you're gonna eat it. <laughs> Richard Justice, MLB.com. Thanks a lot for being with us. But I do. I'm flying solo here because Stan is taking some uh, time off to take care of some family problems or issues, I should say, down in North yeah. Carolina. But the last time we had you on, I was flying solo, and I just wanted to remind everybody. Boy, I've never, you know, it's, it's really fun. I didn't, Stan didn't ask that many questions, but, you know, his questions aren't really that good. Well, you know, that's that's just the way it is, you know. When you fly solo, you try to get the best people on, and you're certainly one of the best. And there you go. You are. You are one, one of the, the best. best interviews Stan has ever done. <laughs> Richard, thanks so much for being with us on the Batarang. All right, Richard Justice, MLB.com. And uh, we have what now? Well, I actually do want to say one thing. During this past summer, I was broadcasting for a collegiate baseball league. Yeah. And um, one of the baseball players is from Houston. His dad was so thankful for the broadcast he actually wanted me to come to Houston for a vacation. Houston is a is a great it's a different different city compared to DC cuz it's so spread out, so big. And unlike DC, it's not, you know, confined. It's not crowded like you would have downtown DC, downtown Philly, downtown New York. It's a wonderful city. Minute Maid Park, the atmosphere is unreal. Mm -hmm. And I got to know someone from the Astro staff. Great people, great fan base, and that's vacation I took was a weekend before the hurricane. And you know something I was going to make mention to Richard, uh, but I forgot. And but but it still bears mentioning is the fact that when you think about broadcaster Milo Hamilton, who is no longer with us, right? He is one of the people that you know was probably looking down on all of this and as proud as can be. You know. Yeah, it's just it's unbelievable to have texts from the people I know in Houston saying that they're stuck in their business, which is in the high-rise building, and that the first, second floors of their building is flooded and they can't get out, and they're just having to take the time in that building for the next week or so while the rains eventually end and the floods recede. It's just an unbelievable feeling seeing those pictures of the places that I drove through, the places that I walked through, the places that I saw, and they're just completely underwater. And, and you see the devastation, and you see what the, the cleanup is going to have to be like. Uh, 
kudos to everybody down there because uh, that's just, you know, in the same way with South Florida, you know, same right. thing, you know. Uh, it, it's a terrible thing when you have to go through something like that, but that's what brings out the best in people. Uh, everybody kind of bonds together and gets the job done. Well, I got this hat at the uh, Astros game. I went to a couple games. This is a 90s throwback, so I brought this hat in to celebrate, and I say to Houston, I tip my cap to all of you. <laughs> there you go. For what you've done. I'm really happy for them. And I do also want to mention, I know George Springer's the MVP, but the real MVP is Carlos Correa. Yeah. <laughs> I can never imagine someone doing something like he did, proposing after winning the World Series championship on camera, on Fox Network in front of millions of people. One of these days, maybe within the next week or two, we'll try to get Kenny Rosenthal, good yeah. good buddy of mine. Kenny he, Rosenthal. he knew about this. He knew about it, but uh, still, to be able to go out there and kind of keep a straight face knowing what was coming, right. uh, i got to ask him about that. <laughs> This past week, of course, on Thursday, the Nationals introduced uh, Dave Martinez as their new skipper, and uh, the press conference lasted about a half hour. But we took some, uh, so we took some of the most, uh, uh, you know, the better questions, if you will, in, in terms of what he thinks he might face as the Nats' new manager, and uh, some of his answers. Uh, like we said with Chelsea, he said all the right things. Chelsea James, the Washington Post. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Uh, what have the last maybe few days been like for you, and kind of how much does it mean to finally kind of get this opportunity after I know being interviewed many times over the last few years? It's uh, it's been overwhelming. I've been on a lot of flights, um, <laughs> but I welcome that very much. Uh, like Mike said, um, I've known Mike for quite a while, and uh, this is. A half a dream come true to me to be able to work uh, here with uh, with Mike and the Lerner family, um, and to see what they built. I mean, this is just a ongoing uh, ongoing thing that they've started years ago, and uh, to continue in the successes that they've had, and to get to that next that next level, which is win a world championship here in Washington. I think the one um, the one thing I have to say after talking with the Lerner family and Mike. We have definitely have something in common, and that's the desire and passion to bring a world championship here to Washington, and uh, we're going to get it done. Uh, Mark Zuckerman from MassInSports.com. You were in the unique position of being able to see this team from across the field during the playoffs uh, just a few weeks ago. As you were watching them, what did you see, and what, if anything, did you see that uh, made you think there's something lacking or something that can be – uh, improved on to get past that hurdle? Well, I, I really, well, first and foremost, as you know, it was not easy. Uh, we went to game five, and um, and on the other side, I've always had a, uh, a thing about never quitting. And uh, we preach that every day. Uh, it's something that I'll bring here. Um, we, we'll play till the last pitch of every game. Uh, we'll compete every single day, uh, and we'll win as many games, the object is to win as many games as possible starting uh, from day one. So I, I think moving forward, this team doesn't lack much. It really doesn't. I think we just got to get over the fact that we're not here just to win a playoff game. We're here to win the World Series. Over here, Dan Kolko with Masson. Congratulations. Thank you, Dan. Um, you worked under a, a pretty strong manager in Joe Madden for, for quite a number of years. Um, what elements that he brought to the table as a manager do you see 
yourself maybe having now that you're a manager, and how do you maybe envision yourself differing from him in any number of areas, if at all? Joe and I have been pretty successful together. I really believe that why change something that really works? I am very creative. Uh, We we shared ideas together. Um, I'll bring a lot of those ideas here. Um, It's a whole different team. It's a whole different perspective here. So um, there might be a little changes uh, based on our, our, our players. But for the most part, you know, we're going to be prepared, stick to the process. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I've, I learned from Joe. It's, it's a long season, and, and it's all about preparation and sticking to the process. Howard Fenderich with the yeah, Associated Howard. Press. What do you consider uh, the best trait or quality that you bring to managing? What, what about you will make you a good manager? And is there any sort of area in which you think there's something you stand to learn still as someone who hasn't? done that job yet well the, the one thing i could tell you that i'm very uh i have a lot of high energy positive energy i'm not a guy that's going to sit in a manager's office i'm very hands-on uh i love talking to players i love conversations with players it's my strong suit uh i collaborate a lot with uh front office mike ownership um to get it right look i i i, I meant this sincerely this is um this is a big family. You know, we're all in this together. We all got to have, we all got to think alike, have the same ideas uh, in order to really be successful. And um, I plan on, on, on bringing that and bringing everybody together uh, as a whole. And like I said, uh, the ultimate goal is to win that championship. I mean, to bring a, to bring a world title to the city of, of Washington and the fans who deserve it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I came here for the playoffs, um, this place was electric. I mean, even from the opposing side, it was uh, very. Uh, my hair, you know, my hair stood up to see all, how the fans were, all the red and all the man. I was, you know, it was I was jacked up about it, you know. So now to be on this side and hope they cheer for me and our team, it's going to be pretty cool. Dave Craig Heist from 106.7 The Fan here in D.C. Welcome. Uh, can you? address a little bit about the pressures that are on a major league manager nowadays. I mean, this is a team you're taking over that's gone to the division series for the last six years and has yet to get through that first round. And we've seen with Joe Girardi and John Farrell and, you know, some others, when the success hasn't been achieved to winning it all, uh, how do you plan on taking that next step or taking this team to the next step? First and foremost, I never let the pressure the, – the pressure to exceed the pleasures of the game. So um, for me, it's, it's just keeping it fun, staying in the moment. Um, in the high leverage situations, try to teach the players how to slow everything down. Um, the, get, the game kind of gets quick uh, in moments. And um, as a bench coach and as a manager, I'll try to really emphasize on just slowing everything down. Just let the game come to you. We've done it. You know, you guys have done it all year long. Um, it's no different. Uh, the ultimate goal, like my message from here on out is to play the last game of the World Series and win. And, and that's, that's all we're going to, that's all we're going to ca- concentrate on. That's all we're going to, to, uh, to worry about. And how do we do that? By winning one more game each day. 
Well, we'll see whether or not that happens because there's some pressure on that man because, the, you know, this team has not made it past the first round of the playoffs, and uh, it is up to him now to get this team to the next level. Whether or not he can do that it remains to be seen. I just realized he was with Joe uh, Madden in Chicago who beat the Nationals this past season, and now this upcoming season, if things go the way they do, you might have him being on the Nationals facing the Cubs in a similar situation, facing against Joe Madden. Yeah. It's amazing how that works out. Well, the game is great, and that's why it's the greatest game in the world. Uh, situations, scenarios, some of the things that happen, you never know when your paths are going to cross again. Uh, but uh, Dave Martinez, and you were asking me, is it Dave or is it Davey? It's funny because we had, obviously, Davey Johnson uh, right. down in, in, in he, well, here in Baltimore, obviously, as a player yeah. and, and as a manager. Uh, but we also had Davey down in uh, Washington, Washington as well. Uh, but uh, we have been told by his people it is Dave Martinez, even though you heard Charlie Slows in our interview say Davey. Yeah. Because, you know, Charlie and he go back quite a ways. Uh, yeah, so he yeah, can do that. <laughs> he, can, he can do that. But uh, I'll stick with Dave Martinez and see where it goes from there. Uh, it's been a pretty good show here on the Bat Around today. Lots of guests. and uh, I want to thank Stan. <laughs> <laughs> for taking the day off. No, uh, we hope everything's da- uh, going well for yeah. Stan down in North Carolina. He'll be back next week. We're going to take our final break, come back, wrap up the show right after this on the Bat Around. What we do with our lives defines us. So consider a path that gives you an array of opportunities for your future. The U.S. Army gives you skills and experiences that make you a well-rounded person. With many ways to serve that align with your goals, you'll become a stronger individual. Find out more at GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash football. There's strong, then there's Army Strong. Paid for by the United States Army. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Sandra McKee profiles Dr. Leanne Curl, not only the first female team orthopedic in the NFL, but also a huge part of everything the Ravens do. Also, 10 questions with Ravens kicker Justin Tucker and more. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Park Cell early phase unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance 
because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Press Box's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Great news! Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has a brand new catering delivery truck. Order your next office party platter from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square and Steve and his crew will bring your chicken piping hot in the all-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. You'll salivate when you see it pull up. Office party, birthday celebration, family gathering, Chick-fil-A catering ensures fast, scrumptious, fresh food with everything you need included. Order using your Chick-fil-A app or call Steve right now and tell him what you need, when, and for how many. They can feed hundreds. Remember, Chick-fil-A now offers breakfast, too, so they can cater your morning meeting, including hot, rich coffee. And it all comes in the brand-new Chick-fil-A delivery van. That's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, or give them a call, 410-931-0031. And welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heiss sitting in for Stan the Fan, along with Bonza Tufa, who is running the ones and twos, taking part of the show, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. It has been. It's been action-packed. Action-packed. We've had uh, some really good guests. I want to thank Richie Bansells, former, i got to say that now, former athletic director. Get used to that, huh? Yeah, I know, of the Baltimore Orioles, and he will be sorely missed. Uh, going to Camden Yards and not seeing Richie is, is going to be a hard thing to get used to for a while. But he has retired, and he is going to enjoy his retirement. And as you heard him say, do a lot of things that he would never get a chance to do in a 24-7 lifestyle mm-hmm. of an athletic trainer of a Major League Baseball team. Steve Molesky of MassInSports.com. Charlie Slows, the play-by-play voice of the Washington Nationals on the Nationals radio network. Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, who covers the Nats, talking about Dave Martinez. And also our good buddy from MLB.com, Richard Justice, who just came off covering that exciting Astros World Series win in seven games over the Dodgers, which you and I predicted. <laughs> I want to make sure we predicted that. Yep. And uh, somebody who's normally on this show <laughs> had it the, he, well, let's say, and, and, you know, as, as we have political debates, Stan and I every yeah. now and then, I'll just say he was on the wrong side of history again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of sad, though, that, you know, people focus on Game 7 and think, oh, that wasn't too exciting. Well, one, I've never been so uncertain of a team despite leading 5-1. to one. And two, Game 7 should not take away from the fact that that was one of the wildest World Series in recent memory. Well, I don't think it does, but you, your, your point's well taken because of the way, uh, you, you know, the, the Dodgers offense, you know, and some of the guys in that lineup and how they can produce, whether it's Turner, Puig, uh, you know, Taylor, Taylor, guys like that, Seeger, yeah, yep. Seeger. and, uh, you know, one of the other things, Seeger, uh, being susceptible to the inside curveball, 
I mean, Bellinger that was a big, the same way. Bellinger yep. to those two lefties. That was a big deal in this series oh, yeah. to get them out. And uh, the Astros found out what it was and where their weak spot was, and they were able to exploit it. It'll be interesting to see what people's perception of Dave Roberts is now because he's made a couple decisions that have definitely been questionable, especially on Rich Hill in both of his starts. Right. I mean, maybe Yanks Rich Hill after giving up a run on and striking out seven, seven. over four innings. Uh, you know, again. It's one of those things where, you know, the, these playoffs have become so bullpen-driven anymore that it's really hard. And then you, you see a game like Verlander, 124 pitches yep. in, in the playoffs in the postseason. And, you know, it's like I said to Richard, you're going to take the ball from my hand, you know, you're going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and you got you almost have to – got to love a guy like that. And yeah, so many times we have Bill Latson on this show, and Bill will say, look – don't don't give me that. Give me a guy who's going to go seven, eight, nine innings. I mm-hmm. want a complete game. And Verlander gave him that uh, in in the postseason. I think it took me a while to think about this when Game Seven was going to happen. But then I realized Game Seven was probably the best thing to happen to the Astros because there's no more games after that. That's right. So you can use. Keiko, oh, it's all Norton, hand, yeah, McCullers. all hands on deck yeah. at that point. You, you have can use whole, all your starters. You have the whole off season to be able to rest. So. Uh, if you missed any part of this, you can go to pressboxonline.com slash radio yep. in the archives and and uh, listen to it. And, and if you're on Facebook, uh, you can also do it uh, by going to facebook.com uh, slash pressboxsports. And, you know, we, we got almost 350-some views today, so that was good. We thank you for that. And uh, Stan Fan will be back next week. And I'm getting into the habit of doing what Glenn Clark does at the end of his show. Oh, here we go. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll say goodbye. Have a nice week. Duke sucks. Penn State sucks. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody.